Father, we know that we're not reliant on technology, but we're very definitely reliant upon your Holy Spirit to change us and to make us grow. I thank you, Lord, that you've given us everything that we need for life and godliness. And I pray today that your Holy Spirit would teach us and grow us so that we can grow other people. And all God's people said, Amen. If you'd like to take out your outlines, Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Seeing as you're miles ahead of me, let's get going and let's read this scripture together. Romans 8, 29. Let's read it. From the very beginning, God decided that, and all along, one of the purposes that God has for you is to become like his son, Jesus Christ. Now, whilst you're on the earth, God wants to get you ready for heaven because you're only here for such a short period of time. There's eternity out there, and he wants you to grow in character and grow spiritually. Why? Because your, your character is the only thing you're going to be taking with you to heaven. There's no dishwashers, no houses, no clothes. Well, I better put that in context. But your character is the one thing that you're going to be taking with you. So that's what we're going to look at today. How do I grow spiritually? How do I grow in spiritual character? And character, by the way, are repeated patterns of behavior. Now, you have to have other people to grow. In fact, that verse on your outline there, 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says this. Encourage each other. Build each other up. It's not discourage each other and tear each other down. It's exactly the antithesis of that. And that is actually this week's memory verse from 1 Thessalonians 5.11. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to stop right now and I'm going to ask you to all read that with me. Let's say the verse, always say the address first, then the verse, then the address after that. 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Encourage each other and build each other up. 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Let's say it again. 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Encourage each other and build each other up. 1 Thessalonians. Let's do it one more time. 1 Thessalonians. Encourage. Good. Well, you're a long way along the way. Do that about another seven or eight times and you'll have it nailed. That's all it takes. Listen for a few minutes. Key verse this week we're going to talk about. Now, one of the ways that we help each other grow, you help each other in a, in, a, in a marriage, you help each other in a small group, you help each other in a church, is this, by affirming each other's worth. By affirming each other's worth. Everybody is looking for affirmation. And people will almost do anything to get it. And when you and I affirm people, we are showing love. Just like that verse said there. God, for example, is an incredibly affirming and loving Father. And we are showing the world, when we do that, a little bit of what God is like. So how do I do this? How do I affirm people? How do I make the choice to affirm? Because you can make the choice to not affirm. How do you make the choice on the affirmative to affirm? Here's four ways that you can practically take this word. And God says we're not to come here and just listen, but to do. Four ways you can apply this word of God today to your life. And Jesus said this, my food is to do the will of God who sent me. 
If you want to grow spiritually and have spiritual food, you do the Word of God. You apply it to your life. Number one, how do you do it? Firstly, by showing acceptance. By showing acceptance. The Bible says in Romans chapter 15, verse 7, accept one another just as Christ accepted you. So instead of choosing to snub people or to belittle people, put them down, which is a really easy choice to make. Would anybody want to confess that? Yeah? Instead, the Bible says, lift one another up. We all have a tendency, this is what I've noticed, to take, say, say there's something that I'm strong in, or you're strong in. We have a tendency to take our strengths, what we are good at, and project them onto other people, and then notice how those other people aren't so strong in that area. And they don't quite measure up to our standards. And when we do that, we are conveniently forgetting that we have weaknesses too. And when we do that, the former, it makes us feel better about ourselves. But I want to suggest to you, instead of putting other people down, one of the greater ways or better ways to make you feel better about who you are is to lift other people up, because that's what Jesus does. There's many examples. The Bible says this in Romans 14.10. Why do you look down on another Christian? Remember, each of us will stand personally before the judgment seat of God. Each one of us. Now the point is, of that verse there is, who am I? Nobody. Who are you to look down on other believers? Be careful if you ever tempted to do that. See, God made all of us, and he is our father. He is our creator. And we're all going to stand before him as individuals. And we need to lift each other up rather than tear each other down. Actually, God does not tear people down. But somebody else's job that is to do that. Somebody else's job to accuse people, to make accusations. Who is that? Satan. So when I spend my time putting people down, tearing them down, I'm doing Satan's work for him. Now let this, let's make this a little closer to home now. <laughs> Who is there, perhaps even in your home or in your family, or even in your small group, that you have a hard time accepting because they are different to you? Don't look at them. <laughs> Saw a movie last night called Wanda. A little boy who had a different face. Well, the people had a tough time accepting that kid. God made us all with different personalities, different interests, different abilities, different personalities. So what does... How does that weigh up? Well, look at this, 1 Corinthians 12, 6. God works through different people in different ways. That's right. He didn't make us all the same. And you and I cannot help somebody grow and reject them at the same time. If you're rejecting somebody, there's no way they're going to grow. 
You have to accept them like Jesus accepted them. How do you tell whether you've actually accepted somebody? You stop insisting they be like you. They think like you. You realize and rejoice that God's made them different. Somebody said that people are not like clay to be molded by you, but the gifts to be unfolded. When was the last time you looked at somebody and said, you know what? I've noticed that you are really good at that. It's easy, too easy sometimes to look at somebody, maybe it's a child, maybe it's somebody that you know in your family, and say, you're not very good at that. Anybody can notice that. But when was the last time you invested some energy and effort into a relationship where you could look at somebody and say, you are really good at that, and lift them up? You do that, you'll make a difference in that person's life. The second way you can do this is by showing attention. Showing attention, with attention or giving attention. Another way to cause each other to grow is not by just by accepting one another, but by giving or showing attention to that person. Now the Bible says this in Galatians 6.10. Notice what it says here. It says, give special attention. You know, not just, eh, yeah. it's special attention, circle special attention, to those who are in the family of believers. Now here's a general principle you can apply from this. Whatever I pay attention to is going to grow. If I pay attention to my garden, it's going to grow. If I pay attention to my kids, my relationship with them is going to grow. If I pay attention in a marriage, you pay attention in marriage, your marriage will grow and get better. So what's the greatest gift of love? It's not splendiferous presence. But the greatest gift love can give is focused attention. Focused attention. Yeah. Just reminded me of a YouTube video I saw this morning with some guy walking around with an air horn blasting his girlfriend every time she's looking at her cell phone when she's supposed to be on a date with him. Focused attention. You can affirm people by just looking in their eyes. When you do that, you're saying, I value you. I value you. And what people want more than anything else is focused attention. You know what the Bible says? God pays attention to you. He even knows the hairs on your head by number. And Jesus said that that's the essence of relationship is not what we do for each other or even what we give to each other. The essence of a genuine growing relationship is how much of ourselves we give to each other. Focused attention. Now, one of the greatest enemies and, and preventers of us doing this is excessive busyness. Oh, boy. Unfortunately, in this season, in the last week seems to be, that's my lot at the moment. Excessive busyness. For some, it's different. It's excessive television or device engagement. You know what I'm saying by that? Your computer, internet, phone, whatever it may be. 
Most people are in time-starved relationships. So let me ask you. Who do you tend to see every day but overlook? Is it the lady in the, who runs the mailroom in your work? Who is it? The receptionist. Other times it's somebody really close to you. It's often the people closest to you. Because you're too busy doing something else. Here's what I want you to do this week. Practical application. I want you to look for opportunities to show attention to people in your life that you see every day. Because paying attention is one of the greatest gifts you can give. So how does that look? Well, you can schedule some time this week. Maybe with both of your, with your small group and with your family. Because you need both of them in your life to grow. So we need acceptance and we need attention. Here's a third principle, a way that can help you grow. It'll help you grow your husband. It'll help you grow your wife. It'll help you grow your boyfriend or your girlfriend, anybody. You help them to grow by showing affection. By showing affection. Romans 12, 10 says, Love one another with brotherly affection as members of one family. So Paul here is holding up and pushing back against the value of individualism. Then that attitude says this, I can do it all by myself. We're all in the family of God. Brothers and sisters show affection to one another. And that's a major way that the body of Christ can function effectively and make a positive impact in the believing world, unbelieving world. The family, this family, affection allows for Think about it. It allows for weaknesses. You cut your, your family some slack. It allows for imperfections. They don't have to be perfect all the time. It allows and, and deals with problems which naturally come up and doesn't get all ruffled about it. Family affection affirms others and has a strong commitment and loyalty to others. So whatever it takes... To just give them a word of encouragement. Do that. To say that we're in this together. I love this verse, which I didn't put in your outline. It's from Proverbs 12.25. Uh, yeah, 12.25. The first part's obvious. An anxious heart, uh, anxious hearts are very heavy. But, here it is. But a word of encouragement does wonders. Let me say that last part. But a word of encouragement does wonders. That's Proverbs 12.25 in the Living Bible. Here's the fourth way. You show acceptance, you show attention, you show affection, and fourth, showing appreciation. We affirm each other's worth with appreciation. Now, appreciation literally means, those of you who've done economics, literally means to raise in value. And anybody who's got a house in East Auckland understands what appreciation means. It's been raising in value, right? Every time you appreciate somebody, you raise their value to you and to others. When you appreciate your husband, you raise his value. When you appreciate your wife or your boyfriend or your girlfriend, you raise their value. When you appreciate their ki your kids, you raise their value. When you appreciate your small group, you raise its value. The Bible says this in Ephesians 4.16. 
The Bible says, brothers and sisters, that covers everybody, appreciate those who work hard among you, who led you in the Lord and teach you. So today, when the service is over, before you leave, I want to encourage you to appreciate maybe three or four people. If you've got somebody in All Stars next door, why don't you go and thank those teachers for teaching your kids? Or thank the setup team who set up these chairs. Or maybe the Sparkles teachers up the stairs, or the youth leaders, Chris and Karen. Or maybe it's the worship team. Why don't you thank them and appreciate them? Or when you go to your small group this week, that host, why don't you appreciate the host and tell them how much you value them and thank them for opening their home. Now another way we can help each other grow, and that's by praying for each other's growth. Praying for each other's growth. You want your kids to grow, pray for their growth. You want people around you, other Christians to grow. Look at this, Colossians 4.12. This is what Epaphras did. What a name, eh? Epaphras. Okay, Paul wrote, Epaphras, always prays for you. That what? What does he pray when he's praying? That you will grow to be spiritually mature. Very worthwhile prayer. I love the fact that Epaphras prayed for people's spiritual maturity. Now, you and I normally pray for people's health needs or their financial needs or their relational needs. But I observed that we don't spend nearly as much time praying for people's spiritual growth. That their character will become more like Christ because that is what's going to last. So how could I, how could you pray for somebody's spiritual growth? Now the Bible, luckily, is filled with dozens of ways you can practically do this to help somebody's spiritual growth grow. So let me just share a few very quick verses with you. Ephesians 3, 18 and 19. Who could you pray this prayer for? Who could you? I pray that you're able to feel and understand how long and wide and deep and high Christ's love really is and to experience this love for yourselves. Who do you know who could really do with a touch of God's love right now? They may be struggling a bit. Bring them to mind. And why don't you say in your mind, God, show them your love. Let them know today how much you really love them. And then Hebrews 13, 21, again, I pray that you will always be eager to do what is right. That's spiritual growth. Parents, wouldn't you like to pray that for your kids? That they may not only do what's right, but they want to do what is right. Not because you're enforcing it, but it would come from within. That's something you could pray for. Or maybe there's some friend at work. God, give them integrity. And bring their name to mind. Or here in Romans 15, 13, I pray God who gives hope will fill you with much joy and peace. Know anybody who needs some joy and peace? 
while you trust him. Who wouldn't like some more hope in their lives, some more joy, some more peace in their lives? The foundation of all of that is that you trust in him. Everything else is sinking sand. So you may want to say, God, I know somebody at work who needs some more hope and joy. Help them trust you during this really tough time that their hearts may be lifted up. Bring the name to mind. Maybe you should do that through your quiet time this week. Or here's another one. I pray that God would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Boy, bring the name to mind. Who do you know who's facing a tough decision right now? Why not ask God to give them that wisdom and stand with them? Or 2 Thessalonians 3.5, I pray. Here's another prayer. This is about the fifth or sixth one. I pray the Lord will guide you to be, look at this, as loving as God and as patient as Christ. Woo! Has anybody got that one sorted? <laughs> is there anybody here as loving as God? Is there anybody here as patient as Jesus? We're not here. We're not just there yet. But we can pray for each other that we will grow and get closer to that. So you can pray verse by verse for them. Bring their name to mind. Or here's another one. Who do you know who's feeling overwhelmed by life right now? You could pray this. Ephesians 3.6. I pray that God would strengthen you with power through his Holy Spirit. And you say, God, help them to know that they're not alone today. That you'll give them strength and power. Notice you're praying for their spiritual growth. I'd want to encourage you to do that in your group. Pray for each other's spiritual growth. Just like Epaphras did. Romans 15.5 says this. May God develop maturity in you. So that you'll all get along with each other. As well as Jesus gets along with us. Notice the test of maturity is relationship, not content or knowledge. Let me say it again. Notice that the test of maturity is relationship, not content or knowledge, but relationships. Knowledge is important. But it's Ultimately, maturity is the ability to get along with other people. Love God, love others as yourself. And if you have a hard time getting along with other people, it says one thing. You're not as far along as you probably want to be. You're probably not as far along as God wants you to be. If you're always threatened by other people, and if you can't get along with people, you may have an immaturity problem. Now, God wants us to get along with others as well as Jesus gets along with us. That's why in 40 Days of Community, we're getting in small groups. Because the purpose in small groups is to learn to get along with each other, and especially people that are not like you. And to build relationships and to learn how to love. So... The secret ingredient that builds community faster than anything else is number three. Very countercultural. And that's by admitting 
our mistakes. It's intriguing to me. I mean, two types of managers, or owners, or directors. Some of them come in, and you say, hi, my name's Ian, and they say their name is XYZ. And, and then they'll start to talk about, after a little while, they'll ask you what you do and what you've done. And then some of them will start to talk about their strengths, their strengths, their strengths, their strengths, as if to impress. And then you see the other one, which I met this week, who is unbelievably more successful than the first one I'm talking about, and he's very humble. Very humble. And he readily admits his weaknesses and the mistakes he's made. And you know what happens? Who do you think you get drawn to? The one who's talking about his strengths or the one who's genuine enough to tell you about what he's done wrong? I want this guy every time. He's the real deal. He's no phony. He's not trying to impress me. By admitting mistakes, we build that sense of genuine authenticity and intimacy. You'll build relationships faster than any other way. Ephesians 4.25 says this. Tell each other the truth. Because we all belong to each other. Tell each other the truth about yourself. Don't make yourself out to be bigger or better or, you know, more whatever than you are. Confession means admitting what's going on in your life. When you're honest about what's going on and you're not blaming somebody else, it draws you closer to them and them closer to you. Now, there are four benefits of being honest about our mistakes, which I think we sometimes miss about our faults, about our failures, those things you don't really want to talk about. Particularly when it comes to relationships, is number one, you can get emotional healing. Emotional healing comes from being honest about, with other people about what's going on in your life. James 5.16, famous verse. Hard in a culture like ours, to put into practice, but this is God's way, not man's way we're interested in. James 5.16 says, admit your faults to one another. Whoa. Notice it doesn't say admit them to a counselor or even admit them to a pastor. It says admit them to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now, God has wired the universe in such a way that emotional healing, emotional healing, carefully listen to this, emotional healing doesn't necessarily directly come from telling God because he already knows about it. It'll make you feel a little bit better, but from telling somebody else who doesn't know it. The Bible says, confess your faults to one another and you'll be healed. You want forgiveness? Forgiveness only comes from God. It's the only place you can get it. Only from God. But you want healing, you need to let go of that pain, you want to get it behind you, you need to tell somebody else. Be discerning of who that is, but telling somebody else. A spiritual partner who can then pray with you and is extremely confidential. Be careful. It'll take you a while to find those people. I'm lucky I've got 
four men now, one passed away recently, four men in my life who I can tell anything to. Whether I'm up, whether I'm down, whether I'm battling, whether I'm on a high. Second thing you do is you can get a, it'll give you a fresh start when you're being honest. Not only emotional healing, but you get a fresh start. Proverbs 28.13 says, Anyone who refuses to admit his mistakes whew, can never be successful. One of the points I make with my boys is I've made a lot of mistakes in my life, and I make sure they know them. Why do, that, why do I want my boys to go down dead ends that I've been down? I tell them about the horrible ones I've made financially. Don't do that. And relationally and intellectually. So they know. Do you share your weaknesses honestly? Anyone who refuses to admit a mistake can never be successful. But if he confesses, <laughs> notices, and forsakes them, he gets another chance. There is nothing that's happened in your life that God cannot use for good. Romans 8.28 All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. But you have to be honest about it. A lot of people have confessed to God and God has forgiven them, but they just don't feel it. They need somebody in their lives to tell them, if, you, if you've confessed to God, make sure they have, then you're forgiven. Have you admitted it to God? Yep. Then you're forgiven. Let it go. Friends, God never gives up on you and he wants to use other people in your life to take that pain and to heal it and then turn you into a leader and a person of influence that can influence people away from the pain that you've been through. To use those lessons for good in their lives. The third thing, the third benefit of being honest is you get God's power to change. And boy, we need that. Without that, it's no go. You get God's power to change when you admit mistakes. Because remember, he always gives grace to the humble, but he's opposed to the proud. James 4.10 says this. When you bow down before the Lord, that means you humble yourself before God, and you admit your dependence upon him, God will lift you up. Notice it doesn't say if you, he'll scold you. What does it say? He says he'll lift you up. When? When you bow down and you humble yourself, God will lift you up. He doesn't shame you. Notice what he did to the woman caught in adultery. That famous scene. Woman, where are your accusers? They were this stoner. By the way, where is the man? I don't accuse you, but go sin no more. He lifts her up. He doesn't shame you. He doesn't put you down. He lifts you up. How does that work? God wants you to learn to be like him, and God is humble. Jesus is humble. So the Bible says this again. God resists the proud. That means when you are prideful, on whatever issue it is, you're on the opposite side to God. Not a good place to be. You're fighting against God. But 
Here's the good news. He gives grace, the Bible says, to the humble. So that means when I'm honest about my weaknesses, I'm being humble. And when I'm humble, I get God's grace, the power to change my life. But it only comes through humility, and humility comes through honesty. Now, some of those things in your life, you've been unable to be changed. You've struggled with for years. Some things that are going on. And some of that is because you've been unwilling to be really honest about them. I know for my own dad, struggled for years with alcoholism. And the reason why he could never make progress until almost the end of his life, because he was never honest, he had a problem. You can't help somebody until they know they've got a problem, until they admit, until they humble themselves. So healing and fresh start and the power to change can be, come from being honest about the fact that I'm not perfect. And neither are you. Nobody's perfect. So who are we even trying to kid? We just need to be honest about it because we're all imperfect. Here's the fourth benefit of honesty. The fourth benefit is you'll get deeper fellowship. This principle is elucidated in 1 John 1, 7. It says, if we live in the light, as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. We get fellowship. Why? Because in the light, you can't hide anything. It exposes those sins and they're dealt with. But when we're honest, we live the way, we live in the light that we have fellowship. Now, here's the myth. We think this, that if we're open about our fears and our faults and our foibles and our failures, if we're honest about that, and our imperfections, that people will think less of us. That's the deepest fear. Less of us. But the opposite is actually true. The more honest you are, the more people want to be with you because they go, hmm, this guy's the real deal and he's not fake. What you see is what you get. What we don't like people who fake it and pretend it, pretend that they're perfect and try to hide everything. And the fourth way we can help each other grow is this, by encouraging each other's commitment. The Bible says this in 1 Timothy 4, 7. Keep yourselves in training for a godly life. By encouraging each other's commitment in training. How do you do that? It's always easy to work out with a partner than with somebody else, than working out by yourself. You get a spiritual training partner that can help you along. And nothing affects your commitments more than being partnered with somebody who's running in the same direction. Your commitments shape your life. And if you're not committed to anything, other people will start to shape your life. So not only do your commitments affect here and now, they affect your eternity. That's what the Bible says in Romans 1. Help, uh, excuse me, it says, I want us to help each other with the faith that we have. Your faith will help me, and my faith will help you. So that's why you need a church family. That's why you need a small group. So New Hope is focused and committed and organized around helping you fulfill God's five purposes for your life. And if you make those basic five commitments around those five purposes, it'll help you grow. Let's quickly review them as we close. Number one, first, God wants you to commit to love Jesus Christ. To love Jesus Christ. That's the first thing. If you get everything else in your life done and you don't get that done, that's a big problem. Because the Bible says, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. That's called worship. And if you haven't done this today, today is your day. Commit to loving Jesus Christ. Second, 
After you've committed to Jesus, you need to commit to loving other believers. Once you're in the family of God, God says, I want you to learn to get along with other people. Not once all of a sudden, if you fall out with somebody, then you go somewhere else. And you fall out with somebody there, you go somewhere else, and then you just go around and around and around. That means you get into a small group. You take class one-on-one, our membership class, which we've got coming up in a few, um, um, at the end of the month. You get baptized as an expression of your faith and you join a church family. Now, once you start loving Jesus and you start loving other believers, God says, I want you to help others do the same. Help other people to love me. Help other people to love my family. That is your job if you've already done that. You might even want to go through 101 with a friend. Maybe even be there for their baptism. The third thing is you need to commit to growing God's word. That's called discipleship. And God wants you to become like Christ. So you grow in his word. And then, don't forget this part, you help others grow in his word. You start sharing and teaching what God has done in your life. And you invite them to a small group. Fourth, you commit to serve in a ministry. God gave you some talents and some abilities and And he didn't just give them for your benefit. He wants you to use them to bless the world. And any time you use your talent or your gift to bless others, that is called ministry. And God says, I want you to get involved in ministry and then help others get involved in ministry. Are you doing that? Maybe in your small group, invite them to join your ministry. Invite them to serve along with you. Help find people find their niche. And make sure everybody in your small group has a place where they can give back. And then fifth and finally, to commit to share the good news. Once you know the good news, we are called to share it with other people. Challenging point. Who do you need not to give up on? Who do you need to invite to attend church, a church service, or to your group? Or just plain and simple, home for a cup of tea. Let's pray. Friends, the fact is, spiritual maturity is a choice. And I've said many times, you and I are as close to God as we choose to be. One day, you're going to stand before God and give him the count of your life. And he's going to ask you, did you ever make these commitments? Did you ever fulfill the purposes I put you on earth for? So my question to you is, what is your next step? Do you need to invite Christ into your life? Do you need to be baptized? Join the church. Maybe take 101. To get in a small group. To find a ministry. Why don't you pray this prayer? Dear God, I really want to grow spiritually. I do not want to stay as a spiritual baby anymore. Today I'm choosing to make some serious commitments that I may grow. First, I commit all of my life to you, Jesus. And I want to follow your purpose and your plan. 
then I commit to publicly announcing my faith through baptism. I want to join your church and I want to get in a small group. And I want to grow to be the person that you designed me to be. I commit to the journey, Lord. And today, I ask you to make your home in my heart. In your matchless name I pray. Amen.